I grew up, I grew up in the home of a, of a my, my, my father was a CEO. My, my father was a very high profile CEO. In fact, uh, my father was so big about being a CEO, a Christmas and Easter only Christian that that he never actually attended himself. What he would do is he would send his family, he would send his children as, as representatives. And, and Easter for me was a, as a child, it was a cool thing, but it was an interesting thing. Easter was, we, we had an Easter egg hunt, a, a big Easter egg hunt, big Easter baskets, solid chocolate bunnies. I don't know what happened when they went from the big solid chocolate bunnies to the hollow chocolate bunnies, but that was one of the great failures of contemporary culture, the hollow chocolate bunny. I don't know if anybody else bears witness to that, but that's just, I, I, think, I think that a hollow chocolate bunny is a work of the devil. It's the work of the Antichrist. Easter was one of the few times, being the 12th of 13 children, Easter was one of the few times that I got a new outfit. We got an Easter outfit every year. And so we would dress up, we would go hunt for eggs, we would get candy, and then our parents would send us off to church. And then we'd hear a message that we had no idea what it meant, and we had put in our time, and they would see us again pretty close to Christmas. That, that, was, that was my experience. And so I knew about Easter, I knew about the bunny, I knew about the candy, and I knew that we went to church, but I didn't really understand why. In fact, it was, it was sometime later, it wasn't really into my latter teen years that I, I really came to understand the, the significance of this, of this thing called Easter, and, and, and why Easter was such a big deal. And, and really for me, that realization it was absolutely, it was transforming. And, and Easter, or, or more specifically, the reason for the Easter celebration, when fully understood, it's a game changer. It, it's absolutely a game changer. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to I challenge you today. I, I, I want to I challenge you. I want to I challenge those of you that are here most Sundays. I, I want to challenge you, uh, those of you that are here for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time. I, I want to I want to challenge those of you that you, you relate to the role of CEO because that's what you are. We see you every Christmas and every Easter. I, I, want, to, I want to challenge you today to take a very close look at Easter because Easter, it really is a big deal. And it's, it's, and it's, a, it's a big deal because of the thing that we talk about or, or the thing that we, that we focus on. It, and and this, this purpose for Easter, what it does is this. It does, a, it does an end run around all of the arguments that you can give against Christianity. And so I want to I challenge you today. And, and here's, here's what I know. I know that, that some of you, you're here for your once a year thing. I know some of you that were, were, were coerced to be here. And I know some of you were, were drug here. And you may not have your, your arms crossed on the outside, but you have your arms crossed on the inside. And right now you're thinking, when is this thing going to get over? totally understand I've been right where you're at. But this morning for a few moments, I, I, I want to I challenge you to rethink Easter. I want to challenge you to, to see it in a, in a correct light. And, and more than that, I want to challenge you today to consider becoming a fully devoted follower of Christ, a Christian. I, I want to challenge you to become a Christian even though you know some. I want to challenge you to become a Christian even though you've maybe worked for some. I want to challenge you 
to become a Christian, even though maybe uh, you were burned by the church at some point. I, I, want, I want to challenge you to see this issue of, of bring, being a Christ follower from a, from a, from a different perspective. I, I want to challenge you to consider becoming a Christian even though you have pain in your life. I want to challenge you to consider being a Christian even though God didn't answer your prayers as a child. I want to, I want to challenge you to become a Christ follower even though someone you loved was a Christ follower and, and they died and you, you don't understand why. I want, I, want, I want to challenge you for, 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 for all of the reasons, in spite of a, a lot of questions that, that you can never get answered, and quite honestly, that, that I could never get answered. I, I want to challenge you to be a Christ follower, to become a Christian in spite of all that because, because of Easter. Because Easter is an end run around all of the arguments and let me give you some good news. Are you ready? The foundation of the Christian faith is not Christians. The foundation of the Christian faith is not the behavior of Christians. The foundation of faith is, is not even answered prayer. The foundations of the Christian faith isn't having all of our questions answered. And I know, I know, I know, I, I grew up in that world. I, I know the conversations that you have with buddies after a few beers, because you've always got that one guy who thinks he's a master theologian. I, I understand what it's like to get together a family reunion, and it, it seems at some point the conversation is gonna go to politics and religion. And there's, there's that individual that can give you all of the arguments and all of the criticism, right? How can the Bible be real? Come on. All of this created in a literal six days, all of the evidence about evolution. Can I, can I help you with something this morning? Listen to me. Being a Christ follower does not hinge upon whether or not you buy the creation story. Now, don't send me emails, letters, let the record show I believe in the creation process. But if you don't, okay, if you're a Big Bang Theory guy, good for you. Being a Christ follower doesn't hinge upon that. Well, my friend has told me that there's all kinds of contradictions in the Bible. Let me help you. The Bible being divinely inspired or not, the Bible being perfect or not, has nothing to do with the basis for Christian faith. Again, don't send me your emails and letters. I believe that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God. But let's say that it's not. Let's say all it is is a bunch of good guys who told the story. Well, here's what we know about these good guys told, that told the story. There has never been an archaeological find, and friends, what they're doing in archaeology over in the area where Jesus lived is amazing. And do you know there's never been an archaeological find that has disproven what's written in the Bible? So these stories of a, of a young man slaying a giant, yeah. Gideon taking 300 men and, and going up against a nation and seeing incredible victory. Oh yeah, Moses leading the children of Israel out of the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt and into the promised land. The, the walls of Jericho falling down when God's people praised him. See, all of those historical things, they stand the test of time. But let's talk about the Easter story for a moment. 
And let's talk about this issue of Christianity and, and, and the church. Because it, it is an odd thing. In fact, it seems virtually impossible that the church would exist today. In fact, it's one of the greatest mysteries of history that the church even exists. Because when you think about it, here's what the church is. The church is this thing that's based on the life of one man. And here's what he did. He came, he lived, he gained followers, and he died. It's like a lot of movements. Take Islam, for example. Islam. The Arab nations, they, 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 they worship many different gods. They were polytheistic. And then this, this, this man, Abraham, came and he said that God appeared to him in a cave. He shared with them these teachings. The people embraced it. They became monotheistic. They, they embraced all of the principles of Islam. And then in 632, Muhammad dies. They acknowledge his death. But because Muhammad taught about principles, ideas, Islam lived on. Take, for example, the civil rights movement. The civil rights movement with great leaders. Of course, the biggest leader in the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King, right, spoke of nonviolent protest, challenged that there has to be equal rights. I believe this, one of the greatest things ever written by man and people love to quote King's I Have a Dream speech. If you've never read a letter from a Birmingham jail, it's one of the greatest masterpieces ever written on, on the reason. In fact, even thinking about it now brings tears to my eyes what King writes about racial equality. He's brutally assassinated. And yet, because King didn't talk about himself, because he taught principles and ideas, the movement lived on. And in fact, if you, if you follow every movement through the history of time, it's because it was based on principles and ideals, not so much so with Christianity. Jesus didn't come espousing some principle or ideal. He, he, didn't, he didn't speak about revolution or liberation. Here's what he said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus always pointed to himself. In fact, when they wanted him to get involved in politics, here's what he said, render under Caesar what belongs to Caesar. In fact, on the day of the crucifixion, Jesus is brought to the key Roman that's there. And here's what the key Roman says. Are you ready? I find no fault with him. So Jesus wasn't anti-government. He wasn't anti-establishment. He didn't come against the religious. In fact, he said this, no, 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 I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to see it all fulfilled. Jesus always pointed to himself and he amassed these followers and then he dies. And his followers be even before he's crucified, they all abandon him, right? Even, even one of his closest guys, Peter, Peter says, 
on the night that Jesus was arrested, the day before he goes on the cross, Peter says, Jesus, man, I'm with you. I'll give my very life for you. And, and Jesus says, Peter, really? Before the rooster crows, before daybreak, you're going to deny me three times. And indeed he does. And when, when Jesus carries his cross, there are no Christians when Jesus hangs on Calvary's hill, there are no Christ followers. After Jesus' death, the disciples, many of them, they're going back to fishing. This was a good idea. This was a good deal, but Jesus is gone. It's over. In fact, when his first followers came to the tomb and saw that it was empty, it was a woman, Mary Magdalene. And here's what she did. She panicked and she said, they've moved Jesus and I don't know where they've moved him to. There's no reason and there's no way that Christianity survives except, except that Jesus is who he claims to be. Except this truth that Jesus said this when he, when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He said, not only am I going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but on the third day, I will rise from the dead. See, it's, it's, it's the resurrection, friend, that makes a difference. And then there are people that want to, there are people that want to argue about it. And, and here's what they want to do. They want to go, okay, what evidence is there outside of the Bible of a resurrected Savior? Now, here's the goofy thing about that. The goofy thing about that is there's nowhere else in history where we go, okay, eyewitnesses said this, but is there somebody who wasn't an eyewitness who also can prove it? There is nothing, listen to me, nothing, 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 nothing from that time period that disproves the claims of those eyewitnesses. Okay, New Testament, the four, first four books of the New Testament are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're called the Gospels, okay? Matthew, an eyewitness. Mark, a contemporary to an eyewitness. M most theologians believe this, that what Mark was doing is Mark was transcribing the story as Peter was telling, him, telling it to him. Luke, Luke is a historian in that time period, in that day, when there's still a lot of eyewitnesses alive, and he says, listen, I have thoroughly investigated all of this, and this is what I found out. John was an eyewitness, and John, in telling the story, John doesn't put himself in a very favorable light. Listen, if you're going to tell a story and you're going to try to convince somebody of a deal, you're going to spin it in the best possible way. And understand this, the eyewitnesses, they point themselves out to be cowards right? Oh, when Jesus did this, we didn't believe. Yeah, when Jesus did this, we failed. By the way, when we went to him in the garden, Jesus was praying, we fell asleep. When Jesus hung on the cross, we scattered. They then, when they, when they tell the story, who's the first witness? It's a woman. And understand, this is not my ideal, but in Jesus' culture back in that day, the testimony of a woman, women couldn't testify in court because the testimony of a woman was absolutely worthless. It discredited the testimony. And when they tell the story, they tell the story that, is, that a woman is the first witness. Now, why would they do that? Well, it's because it's true. 
Let's talk about Paul for a moment. Paul is a man who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. Paul. Paul was one of those religious people in the day that said, this guy, Jesus, is a troublemaker. It's good that he's been done away with. And after Jesus' death, Paul is passionately persecuting Christians. In fact, Scripture tells us that he gave approval to the death of Christians. There's no reason not to believe that Paul didn't have his hand personally in stoning Christians and putting them to death. And Paul being a part of that group that's persecuting this thing that they called the way, there's, Paul could see that the persecution of Christians was slowly but surely ratcheting it up. And in the midst of that, you know what Paul does? Paul does this. You know what? We're going after these Christians. We're persecuting them. I think I'm going to go join the other side. Why, friend? Why would a man do that? Less the story of his experience on the road to Damascus, right? Where Jesus himself, a resurrected Jesus himself, appears to him and says, it's, it, it is me, the one that you are persecuting. And Paul says, whoa, wow, how could we have missed this? Paul wasn't the only of the religious leaders of his day that came to the realization that this Jesus was who he claimed to be. Why? Because on the third day, he arose. It is an absolute game changer, friend. It is an absolute game changer. And it is undeniable. It is absolutely undeniable. I, I, I don't care what your buddy at the bar says. I don't care what your crazy uncle at your family reunion says. Inside of scripture, eyewitness reports. Outside of scripture, the number of historical writings from that day that tell us the story of a resurrected savior. Jesus is, friend. He is who he claims to be. He, claim, he is who he claims to be. And, and then, and then the, the church. Jesus dies and then this, this movement goes on. How is it that the story of Jesus is, is told today? How, 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 does the, how does the movement survive? They, they didn't have a Bible as we know it. The New Testament didn't come until 250 years after Jesus' death. The local governing authority, Judaism, the overarching government authority, Rome, both were passionately in opposition and overtly persecuted the Christian faith. I don't know if you know this, the Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore. One third of the world's population professes to be Christ followers. Because... The resurrection mattered. It mattered. And in that, and in that, we have James, the brother of Jesus. James is a absolute unknown during Jesus' earthly ministry. He has nothing to do with it. He's, he's totally absent from the picture. I can understand that because I've lived sibling rivalry. 
Uh, I, I mentioned I'm the 12th of 13 children. I have six brothers. I have six sisters. I'm, I'm the youngest of the six boys. I, I've got one younger sister. Having six older brothers, I get sibling rivalry. Can you imagine if one of your brothers was Jesus? <laughs> James had a rough deal, okay? And James didn't have some great epiphany. Mom, I appreciate the story of how Jesus was born, but I'm not buying it. I think he's a pain in the neck. It's always Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And then he gets into his public ministry and it's all these people talking about Jesus. What about me? What about James? Right? And then Jesus dies. I would imagine that James was a little sad. It's possible on some note he said, finally, enough with the Jesus business. I've been living in this guy's shadow for, for forever. And then what happens? Jesus does what he claimed he would do. On the third day, he, he rises from the dead and something happens in James's life. James becomes one of the key leaders in the church. Peter, who denies Christ three times, who says, I'm going fishing. Peter becomes one of the fathers of the faith. And he writes the scripture that I opened with. First Peter, when he says this, thanks be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade for you. Why is the resurrection a big deal? The resurrection is a big deal because it changes everything. It's an absolute game changer. It changes the meaning of life. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. You see, I am an imperfect person. So are you. We are sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. He's a sinner. She's a sinner. We're all, we're all, we're all sinners. And, and sin is this part of us that is imperfection. And because of the imperfection in our life, well, the Bible makes it very clear, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God. And yet, what Jesus did on the cross is he paid the price for your sin and my sin. Jesus rising from the dead, he proves who he claims to be. And we have this new birth. I, I love the way scripture puts it. It says this, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. The life that I live, I live by faith in him, walking in relationship with him. And so in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have this new opportunity for life. And that shouldn't come as a surprise to those who followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. It shouldn't come as a surprise to those of us who have the opportunity to read about his earthly ministry in the Bible. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he said, I have come that they might have life and have it in its abundance. 
when a religious person came to Jesus by night, this guy named Nicodemus, and he said, he said uh, Jesus, what do I need to do to make sure that my destiny is set? And Jesus said this, you must be born again. And he said, I must be born again. I must go back into my mother's womb. And I, seriously? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're, you're missing the point. You need to be naturally born. And then you also need, you need to be spiritually reborn. You need to be spiritually renewed. Don't think about your physical body, but think about this thing that is inside of you that makes you different than all the rest of creation. It's your soul. And at soul level, you need to be renewed. You need to be reborn. And, and that's what Peter writes about in 1 Peter chapter 1 when he says that God in his great mercy has given us new birth. And so what happens is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes our understanding or our meaning of life. We, we also understand this, that even though in our earthly existence, there's a sunrise and there is a sunset, and, and the Bible clearly tells us that. It says that there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. It, it tell, also tells us that it's appointed for all to die once, okay? We all die once. And then, and then comes the judgment. And we're judged according to our sins or we're judged according to our reward. It changes it. It changes it. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes the meaning of life. It also changes the meaning of faith. And Peter makes that very clear in 1 Peter chapter 1. And when he says this, that we have been given new birth into a living hope. I love what the writer to Hebrews says. He says this, we have this hope, this living hope, as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It's that it's that hope, it's that living hope that preserves us. It's that living hope that sustains us. It's that living hope that motivates us and moves us. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it changes our understanding of faith because our faith becomes not a passive thing, it becomes an active thing. It's an active faith, it's a living faith, it's a vibrant faith that influences or should influence everything that we do and everything that we say. It also changes the meaning of death. It absolutely does. And it's amazing how much we fear this issue called death. And we fear this issue called death because for so many people, it is an unknown, but it doesn't have to be an unknown. That's the reason why Paul Okay, this guy that persecuted Christians and then joined the other team, why Paul said this. He said, you know what? He goes, I'm really, I'm torn because there's a side of me that wants to hang out with you guys, but there's a side of me that really wants to die to where I can go home and be in, in, in my heavenly home, that eternal home that God has for me. I understand this, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And Jesus made that very clear when he looked at the thief on the cross and he said, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus was not referring to their moment on the cross because friends, nobody has ever called being hung on the cross paradise. But here's what Jesus was telling that thief on the cross and we want you to understand today that there's something more. There's something more. There's something more. Death is not the end. Death is merely a door. And that door is open through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the power of that is made evident in his resurrection. 
So you can, you, can, you can argue all the dumb things about Christianity that people argue. Okay? You know, I don't believe in the speaking in tongues business. Well, good for you. My response to that is the person with experience is never at the mercy of the person with theory. Let me say that again. The person with experience is never at the mercy of the person with healing, uh, with, uh, theory. They talk about, you know, that, 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 that God heals. I don't buy that. Okay, just a quick, by, by round of applause, how many of you verifiable, you have prayed for and received healing in your body? I want you to just, by applause. I, I, listen, I understand. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the fact that some of you here are skeptics. But understand that if we were writing a fiction, if somebody was writing a fiction, this thing is so full of holes. But if it's true, if it's true, it fits together like an amazingly perfect puzzle. It's undeniable. And so it changes the meaning of life. It, it changes the meaning of death. And it, and, and, it, and it changes the meaning of faith. It also, it changes the meaning of destiny, right? That's what it says in 1 Peter 1.5. It says that we, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I love the fact that the word of God says this, that all things work together for good, for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. I love on the night that Jesus was arrested, one of the last things that he says to his disciples, he says this, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in me. Don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. Everything that you're about to see, everything, that you're about, everything that's about to transpire, this is part of the plan. And understand, everything that I have told you is true. I'm going to go away. The Holy Spirit, the counselor is going to come. He's going to energize you. He's going he's he's to lead you into all truth. And you will live victorious. In that time... Between Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, his closest followers didn't buy it. Peter and John go running to the tomb on Resurrection Sunday. John stops outside the tomb kind of freaked out. And I can understand that because I, let me tell you, if it's me, I'm not real big on going into a tomb. Peter, because Peter's impetuous, Peter runs in. Jesus isn't there. But if they, if somebody stole the body, why did they leave all the grave clothes? They tell Thomas. Thomas says this. And Thomas, Thomas has been called throughout history, doubting Thomas. You ever heard that expression, doubting Thomas? And here's what Thomas says. Thomas says, I'm not buying it unless I see the nail prints in his hands. Unless I can touch him, I'm not buying it. I don't think Thomas is doubting Thomas. I think Thomas is smart Thomas. I'm right with Thomas. I, listen, I'm not buying your testimony. I'm not buying it. Friend, I, I stand before you as a self-proclaimed skeptic. 
I have spent a considerable amount of time trying to disprove this thing called, this thing called the Bible. I've worked real hard to try to poke holes in it. And my faith is not because somebody else told me so. And, and, and let me even say this. I don't want you, I don't want you to become a Christian because I tell you it's a good idea. You know why I want you to be a Christian? You know why I want you to be a Christ follower? For the same reason that Thomas went, oh my God. The resurrection made the difference for Thomas. And Thomas said, I'm in. Lived his life as a missionary. Gave his life to be a missionary. Died a martyr's death, proclaiming a resurrected Savior. See, the evidence, friend, it is irrefutable. I'm not asking you to buy into my opinion. I'm telling you, are you ready? I learned this watching some of my children's children's videos. Facts are our friends. And the facts are undeniable. See, that's why Easter is a big deal. It's not because of the bunny. Okay, I've got no problem with a bunny. Okay, if you see a bunny at the church, it's just a bunny. Okay? I think the bunny is some sort of satanic symbol. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. It's a bunny. You know? And here's what people like to do. They like to try to Christianize the bunny, right? Well, the bunny represents, it's a bunny. The eggs represent the Trinity because there's three. No, they don't. They're eggs. Color them, eat them. I always thought it was kind of weird, you know, when you'd peel the egg and then the color, some of the food coloring would be inside. Uh, No, I'm out. I'm out. I do love the chocolate bunnies, though. I'm 50 years old. My mom still sends me one. And one of the sweet ladies in the church brought me a chocolate. There's a chocolate bunny sitting in the front row. She brought me a chocolate bunny. So she told me she didn't honor my mom. So thank you so much. I don't worship the bunny. I enjoy it, but I don't worship it. But here's what I know. I know that over the years that the church has gotten caught up in this and that. And I know that at times we've not done a a great job of, of presenting and, and, and representing who Jesus is. We focused more on being right than being godly. We've, uh, we oftentimes have not lived what we believe. But I don't want you to trip over your crazy uncle. I, 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 I don't want you to buy into the theology of your drunk friend. And, and, I, and I don't want the, the humanity of the church 
to cloud your understanding of an undeniable truth. I don't want theological debate or the argument over whether or not the Bible is divinely inspired. I don't want you to get worked up about all of that. You know, when it comes to rules and regulations, because the church loves to get caught up in rules and regulations, and, that, and that's the reason why so many people push back from being a Christ follower. And even now, as the Holy Spirit's kind of speaking to you a little bit, I know that there's this, this hesitation because you're going, I don't know if I want to be associated with these people and, and I don't know if I can live underneath all their rules. And it's possible that you come and you, you've had a church experience where, man, they've thrown a whole lot of rules at you, a whole lot of rules and regulations, how you're supposed to talk, how you're supposed to dress, right? These activities you can't engage in, all these activities you can't engage in. Well, when the, when the early church leaders, Peter, right? The guy that denied Christ three times that said, I'm just gonna go back fishing. And then becomes this powerful force for the story of Jesus. James, the brother, half brother of Jesus. They didn't share the same dad. James, who becomes a predominant leader, prominent leader in the early church. There were a group of these people, these, these religious people, the ones who shouted crucify him, that when Jesus rose from the dead, they went, oh my goodness, did we miss this? And they became Christ followers too. And as more and more people started becoming Christ followers, they said, oh, it's great that you became a Christ follower. Here are all the rules and regulations. And a group of people said, no, 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 no. All those rules and regulations are silly. No, you've got to keep all the rules and regulations. And so they had this meeting. It's called the Jerusalem Council. It's, it's, in Acts chapter 15, it talks about this thing called the Jerusalem Council. And, and the leaders met. And they said, okay, we need to, we need to come to an understanding of, of, of what the rules are to be a Christian. So whether you're here as a Christ follower Maybe you came this morning as a seeker. Maybe you came as a skeptic. Maybe you just came to get somebody off your back. Okay? I want you to know the rules. Not according to Ed Garvin, not according to Calvary Assembly of God, according to the Bible, the rules to be a Christian. Okay? So in Acts chapter 15, it explains it. To become a Christ follower is simply to accept the gift that Jesus Christ gives this gift of forgiveness, this gift of salvation. And then once you do it, here's the rules for you. Do not eat meat sacrificed to idols. Anybody have a problem with that? Okay. D don't, don't consume things that still have blood in them. Anybody have a problem with that? We're okay. Don't Sleep with your neighbor's wife. Anybody have a problem with that? Oh, I'm so glad that nobody said yes. That one had me worried a little bit. Um, and here's what it says in Acts chapter 15. It says, other than that, we don't want to be a burden to you. What? 
Man, I grew up in a church that said you can't, don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink, don't chew, don't hang around with those that do. We had all these rules and regulations. We had certain, certain television channels we could watch. We couldn't play with dice as a kid. I'd, listen, I understand, man. Listen, even though, even though my dad was a CEO, we couldn't have dice in our house. We couldn't have playing cards in our house. We had to play games. We had Monopoly in our house, but we had to play with a spinner from life because we couldn't have the dice because somehow the dice were, well, how is this okay and this isn't? I don't, I don't get it. And cards, we could have cards, but we could only have Uno cards because we couldn't have cards with the face because the face is evil. And understand this, that all those rules and regulations, that's junk that the church has layered on it. it does, it's, you don't find those rules in the, in the Word. Right? Well, what about all this Old Testament stuff? That's the whole thing the Pharisees were trying to throw on the new Christians. And the early church leaders said this, and I love their statement. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That's powerful, isn't it? I'm not asking you, friend, I'm not asking you to embrace a bunch of rules and regulations. I'm not asking you to go, man, I love the church culture. Here's what I'm asking you to consider. I'm asking you to consider a resurrected Savior. Because understand this, that is absolutely transformative. And Jesus being the resurrection and the life, it is irrefutable.